Good morning, church. It's good to see you and to be with you today. Uh, as an experienced uh, parent, or I'm, I guess I'm t- ten years into this into this gig, parenting gig, um, I, I've learned to avoid some traps, and and uh, one of them. Uh, you know, presents usually comes as kind of a simple request uh, early in the day. You know, it's like, hey, Dad, can I have a candy cane today? And, you know, you're rubbing sleep out of your eyes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. Um, And then, you know, it's a Saturday and your kid goes to four consecutive birthday parties where they have cake and ice cream at each one. Um, And you get home at 9 p.m., which, yeah, to single people, that doesn't seem very late, but to, you know, people with kids, young kids, that's like the middle of the night. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're, you're just about to send them up to their room and they say, hey, Dad, can I have a candy cane now? And you, of course you say no, and then you hear the, the, the trap, it's sprung, right? You hear the words, but Dad, you promised. You promised I could have a candy cane today. And so I've, I've become pretty good at uh, using the words maybe or we'll see, you know. <laughs> uh, those, those are good. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how the day goes. Um, my, my older kids know what that means. They're like, that means no, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but what's your promise, right? What, what, what you, you've been promised shapes your expectation. It shapes what you hope for. And for 1,500 years at least, uh, the church has celebrated Advent as, as a season on the church calendar. Um, Advent is from the Latin, uh, it literally means to, to come. And so traditionally, this refers to, to Jesus coming, both his past coming and his future coming, both the incarnation, Jesus in the manger uh, that we, we celebrate at Christmas, and then his eschaton, right, when Jesus returns in glory. So it's a season for both remembering the past, remembering and rejoicing, and also anticipating and longing and hoping for the future. I think we like the, the remembering part. We, we like the, the uh, looking back and remembering the incarnation of Jesus coming. That, that's, the warm, uh, that's the warm, fuzzy, rejoicing part. Um, we, 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 I think we sometimes shy away from the looking to the future part because that's the longing. That, that's the, the uh, wishing things were, were different, were better, wishing to be fulfilled. And, and I think we've shied away from some of that in, in recent history. Um, just because of who, who we are. As modern Western people, we're conditioned to comfort and controlling our environment, instant gratification. And, and so, so longing for something that we can't control, that we have to wait for, that's sometimes not as attractive to us. But I think that part is, is the part that we maybe need the most. And so Advent is a time to remember the promise. Remember the promise. Um, so Isaiah 9, this, this classic uh, Advent passage, uh, classic passage is prediction of Jesus and of what he would, what he, how he came and what he came to do. Um, we're going to see three things today as we walk through this passage. The darkness, the promise, and the hope. The darkness, the promise, and the hope. Let's, let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for bringing us here today. And, and so that we can remember the promise, would you just remind us? Father, would you remind us, in, not just uh, mentally, not just theologically, not just in our, in our brains, but in our hearts, would, we, uh, would you remind us of your promise and of your truth? We need you. Please speak. 
by your word and through your spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. First, the darkness, the darkness. Isaiah writes in the eighth century before Christ, so about 700 years before Jesus, right? Which if you think of how old America is, not even 300 years old, that's a long time, all right? 700 years before Jesus. He's a prophet of Judah, he's from Jerusalem. Uh, you remember that David and then Solomon's reigns were the kind of the golden age of, of Israel. Uh, and then after Solomon, the kingdom was divided into the north and the south, uh, Israel and Judah. Isaiah lives and writes in this period under, under four kings of Judah. Uh, this was a time of, of great political and cultural and, and social uncertainty, upheaval. Um, things aren't looking good for Israel or Judah geopolitically. Assyria is on the rise, this world power, and they're not, uh, not nice, they're dangerous. Uh, and, and this sets up our passage. And in, in, in this, what's happening here in Isaiah uh, 8 and going into 9 uh, is, is Ahaz, who is the king of Judah, uh, he, he refuses to trust the Lord. Despite Isaiah's warning, despite Isaiah saying, hey, don't, don't trust in people, don't trust in other kings. You put your trust in, in the Lord. I will take care of you if you will trust in me. Despite that, uh, Ahaz gets scared. And so he makes a treaty. He tries to, to pay off the, the king of Assyria. Uh, he makes an alliance. Um, so, so Isaiah is prophesying, and he says, if, if, if you don't trust, if, if God's people, if you don't trust uh, me, if you don't fear me, if you don't take refuge in me alone, then Assyria will invade and, and will wipe you out, will carry you off into exile. And chapter eight ends with these words, uh, chapter eight, verse 20, go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. You can see the, the imagery, the strong imagery of light and darkness in, in this passage the darkness that, that the people of God were walking into was both inward darkness and an outward darkness. It was spiritual and physical. They had rejected God and they looked to their own resources, right, to human aid to save them. And so they were experiencing judgment. The judgment, it was very tangible judgment. The destruction of their homeland, many killed by the sword, many deported and exiled to another country as slaves. You, you've probably noticed uh, it, that it's getting darker earlier and earlier, especially with daylight savings, you know, that just throws everything off. Uh, and, and, but the Advent season, it corresponds to darkness. It corresponds to darkness. The, the winter solstice, right, in December is the darkest day of the year. And as our days get darker, it's important that, that we remember and, and we think about and we confront honestly, I think, the darkness in the world. At the turn of the 20th century, uh, some thought that education and modern science and technology would eradicate poverty and war and, and usher in a time of global peace and unity and prosperity. And if there's anything that the, you know, the last 100 years, 120 years have shown us, I think it's a, the darkness is harder to eradicate than we thought. Right? Have, have we made some progress? Yes. Yes, we have. I would rather live now than 100 years ago. But, but we've, we've also had two world wars, 
many other wars. The war, we see the war now in, in Ukraine and Russia. You just, you, all you have to do is turn on the news to see the darkness. My pandemics, political instability, terrorism, sexual abuse, child trafficking, divorce, war, uh, and much of the world in, in abject poverty, uh, dictators oppressing and killing their own people, uh, pornography, abortion, materialism, crime, racism, hatred, polarization. I mean, you could just go on and on, couldn't you? We, we haven't outgrown the darkness but we haven't progressed past the darkness. And I think that's because the darkness is, is not only outside, but it's also inside. It's also inside, and, and this is even harder to face. We're not, if we're honest, who we should be, who we want to be, even. We, like God's people in the Old Testament, we struggle to give ourselves completely to God. We, we, might, we might not look to the king of Assyria to save us, but we trust in technology to, to rid our lives of discomfort. We don't burn incense to an idol, but we, we burn calories in, in pursuit of an ideal body. Or we burn the candle at both ends in pursuit of financial security. We don't visit temple prostitutes but we are enslaved to pornography. We, we don't pour out libations to Dionysus, but, but when we are sad, what do we often do? We go to the bottle or to the fridge or to the pantry again and again and again. We would like to separate ourselves from the darkness and the paganism that Israel and Judah fell in, into and fell in lockstep with, but we, we can't. And we can't because the darkness isn't just outside us, not just this external force, it is that, but it's also inside us. It's what comes from a heart, the heart that defiles a person, Jesus said. And so the darkness, and the darkness is real. We need to confront it honestly. And because the darkness is real, we need Advent. We need Advent. And so let's look at the promise. Let's look at the promise here. 9 verse 1, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The, the land of Zebulun, the land of, of Naphtali, which are mentioned here, they were actually the first to fall to Assyria. It says in 2 Kings, they, they were the first to fall into darkness. But, but Isaiah sees that it won't always be so. Right? This land, this very place is where a great light will appear. Isaiah sees it in the future, as, as much of the, many of the prophets do. He sees it in the future, but he describes it as something past. He describes it as something that's already happened. What, what's the promise? What's, what, is, what is he saying? What's the promise of this light in the darkness? Verse three, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. You can see the contrast here between uh, the promise and the darkness of being invaded and being uh, occupied by Assyria. 
Rather than losing the nation, the nation's enlarged. Right, you get more, more land. Rather than sorrow, they have joy. Rather than the crops being burned or stolen, they're rejoicing at the harvest. The harvest has come in, they're blessed. Rather than being conquered, they're dividing up the spoils. They're conquering themselves. Verse four, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. God God has shattered the yoke, Isaiah says, the rod, the staff of the oppressors. Israel's enemies rendered powerless. It says, just as on the day of Midian. What was the day of Midian? Well, this was back in Judges. You remember Judges 6, uh, 6 through 8, the story of Gideon. Right, and Midian was oppressing Israel. They were coming, they were, they were burning crops, they were stealing, um, they were, they were uh, severely oppressing the people of Israel. And God raises up Gideon and says, go and raise up an army and, and uh, attack, fight Midian. And the Midianites gathered 120,000 soldiers, a huge army. And Gideon gathers together as many as he can, and he has 32,000. So that's not very good odds, <laughs> uh, right, right? But he's going, he's, he's gonna do it in, in obedience to God. And he's almost there, and, and God says, the crazy part of the story, um, God says, uh, hey, there's, the army's too big. Your army's too big, Gideon. Just, send, you gotta send some of them home. Tell anybody who's afraid to go ahead and go home. Right, so Gideon's like, okay, so he's, he makes that announcement, 22,000 soldiers leave. So he's just left with 10,000. 10,000 versus 120,000. Um, and he's like, all right. And God says, it's actually still too big. Like, let's take, take everyone down the river, uh, go have them drink water. Um, and any who, who uh, just drink straight out of the stream, just tell them to go straight home. Anyone who grabs it in their hand and laps it up like a dog, that's what it says, uh, if, you know, from their hand, uh, they, they get to stay. Sort them out that way, right? And so he does, and he's left with 300 soldiers, 300 soldiers, and God's like, yeah, that's about right. This is the, this is the army that I want to take. And then they go, right, and you, you know the story, they go and, and, and God turns the Midianite army against, against itself, and they're routed and they flee, right? He gives victory to his people. And the whole point of it, right, the whole point of it is not to say, well, people who drink water like that are really good soldiers, right? Uh, no, right? It, wasn't a, it was about God delivering his people in a miraculous way, in a way that only he could do. This was an act of God, and, and, and Isaiah is saying um, that, that uh, this deliverance, this light in the darkness, it will be an act of God alone. It will be God intervening in a miraculous way. And can't we admit this, that the, the only answer to our darkness, of both the darkness outside in the world, the darkness in our hearts, is an act of God. It's not our strength. It's not our ingenuity. It's not our powers of self-mastery or technology or scientific advancement that will deliver us. It's God alone. And, and so here we come to, to the, the crux, right? The center of this passage, the center of history itself. How, how will this deliverance, how will true freedom and peace come about? Verse six, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The promise, right, hinges on what? A child being born. 
which is just awesome, <laughs> right? The humility of God, how God uses the, the weak things to shame the strong, how he works in ways we would never expect. And this is, of course, a reference to the incarnation, to Jesus coming to God becoming flesh. A child will be born, a son given, the government will be on his shoulders. A child who would grow up to rule and to reign, to be a king. The rod that beat the shoulders of his people would be taken by the child and would be broken. Right, this child would bear the weight of the government on his own shoulders. What qualifies this child to rule? Well, it's who he is, his names. His names, he will be named. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Right, wisdom. He has he's such wisdom, so smart, so capable. Mighty God. He'll be strong. Right, his strength, his power, he's invincible in his strength. Eternal Father. Eternal father, in ancient times, a king would often be called a father to his people, meaning he would provide for them. Uh, but of course, a human king would die. That, that's the problem with human kings uh, any, or human fathers. They, they can provide for a certain extent until they die, until they get old and die. But a, an eternal father is one who could always care for his people, a king who would always be there. And prince of peace, one who would usher in a time of, of everlasting peace. Back in Isaiah 2, it says, he will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up sword against nation and they will never again train for war. Right, what humans have never been able to do, <laughs> eradicate war. No need for weapons anymore. No need for swords or spears or guns or nukes, right? No need. There's no war. Peace, eternal peace is coming in. He's the prince of peace. Jesus is the only one who can rule with, with wisdom and strength to last forever. He's the only one who can always take care of us and establish real and lasting peace on earth. Verse seven, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Right, this, this is the promise. This king would come uh, and he would rule. Right, this, this kingdom would, would be, be one that's characterized by justice, by righteousness. And, and it would, would be forever. It would never end. This is an eternal kingdom. And it's sealed with verse, the end of verse seven. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The zeal, the jealousy of God himself will do it. This cannot be stopped. It's a guarantee. The promise is sure. So now let's talk about hope. Let's talk about hope. Remember, what, what you're promised shapes your hope. Right? What, you, what you're told will happen shapes your expectation. And we think about this, this promise rightly, I think in regards to the first advent. 
um, right? The, the, this was about Jesus. It was about his coming, and he did come. But, but I want to point out that this promise, most of this promise has not happened yet. The child was born, the son was given, and he was all of these things. He proved himself to be all of these things. But as Hebrews tells us, we don't yet see everything subject to him. He's not ruling the world in justice and righteousness as he will one day. There's still much darkness on the earth. There's much injustice, much unrighteousness. There isn't peace and flourishing. You see, Jesus, Jesus came, but he's not reigning yet. The kingdom has come, but it's not yet here in its fullness. In Isaiah's day, right, they, they saw everything around them crumble. They did go into exile. But, but they, could, they could read Isaiah, they could read this word from the Lord, this promise, and they could hold on to it. They could hold on to it. No matter what's happening, there will be one who comes. A light will shine into the darkness. He will rule forever. He will bring peace. He will, bring, he will, he will defeat our enemies. Right? And they could hold on to that. How else could they have hope? And in the same way, the, the promise of Jesus' return, right? the, the stuff that, of this promise that hasn't happened yet, it's, it's, it's our only hope. It's, it's our only hope. But, but I think often Jesus' coming isn't our only hope. We, we, we are prone to hope in things here on earth. We're prone to put a lot of hope in politics, in a political regime, and just if we could get the right rulers, if we get the right government, if we get the right people, the right justices, then we would have peace on earth. We can put hope in the church, right? Even the church as an alternate society, we can put all this weight on this is what the church should be. We can hope in what God will even do here. We can hope in revival, right? We should pray for revival, yes. But, but if, if our hope is that what God does in our day here, I think it will let us down. We can hope in family or friends, right? That, that man, if my family is, is intact, if, if my kids love me, if, if, my, uh, if everyone's walking with the Lord, my family's good, my friends group. And we can, we can hope in, in making a difference in the world, having an impact, right? If I, can do, if I can really make an impact, get to the end of my life, go, here's what I did. We can, we can hope in, in material comfort and stability and safety. Right? None of these things are bad. None of these things are bad. And they're all good things, but they're not the promise they're not the promise. The promise is that Jesus will come and make all things new. He will establish his kingdom with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. He's the only one who can fix it. <laughs> First Peter 1, 13. Peter writes this, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say set your hope 
on the grace that will be brought to you. It doesn't say set your hope mostly on the grace that will be brought to you. No, it says set your hope completely, all of it, all of our chips, one basket. (laughs) The grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns, when he's revealed for who he is. And at Advent, we join our family throughout time in remembering the promise and longing for Jesus. Advent is a time to remember the promise. Advent reminds us that we are in between. It puts us in our proper context in history, reminds us where we are. We are sandwiched between the first coming of the Messiah and the second. We we aren't like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise, right? Someone who would come in the line of David, a line who would, someone who would crush the head of the serpent, someone who would bless the nations and gather in all nations, right? They they were looking forward to all of that, but what, we've seen part of it. Right, what does is, what is Hebrews tell us? Hebrews 11 tells us about these, these people, these saints. Uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance. They greeted them and confessed. They were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, they looked forward to the promise and they trusted and they died in faith. They recognized this world was not their home. And that was them, but not us. Right? We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Father, full of grace and truth. The first advent has happened. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. But we we haven't seen all of the promises fulfilled yet. We've seen the beginning of the end, but not the end. We've been let in on the secret of how the war is going to end, but we're still in the trenches. We we are in the second act, right? But, But the curtain hasn't fallen yet. The bride and the groom are engaged, but the wedding ceremony is yet to come. We're in between. We're in between. Uh, and, and if you had a, a time machine, if you had a time machine, you know, you're Marty McFly and you can get into the DeLorean and travel through time. And then you, you had, a, had a, a, a machine that could get you to the future. And you jump into that machine. You, you go forward to the moment of Christ's return. Right? You see him descend from the sky. You hear the trumpet blast. You, you see the children of God meeting him in the air. You, you see him take his throne in judgment over the nations. You see the world renewed in the establishment of a kingdom and a government that can never end, that can never fail, ruled over by the one who ransomed us with his blood. Now you see all that. And then you get back in your DeLorean and you travel back and say you travel back to, to modern time, to right now, to the present. How does your life change? What, what would your perspective be? 
How would your priorities shift? What would your hope be in? Because as Christians, we actually know the future. I mean, that's a crazy thing to say, isn't it? But it's true. He's, God's revealed it to us. It's just, it's just trusting the promise. Isaiah makes this promise, right? 700 years later, a baby is born in Bethlehem who turns out to be mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He lived the most remarkable life. He taught and he healed, he loved. He was executed by the authorities. He rose from the dead, came back to life. He promised to return and then he ascended into the sky. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We have seen the future and we are ambassadors of the future. We bring the future, the, the sure future that we know into the present, it informs our present, it has to. And it should give us hope. And so has the darkness overwhelmed you? Maybe you're here and, and man, it's, life is hard. Life is hard. The, the darkness is real and pain is real. Loss is real. But lift your eyes. Remember the promise. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Has this world become your home, right? As maybe this is the other side. Have you become really comfortable here? You don't hope much for anything later because now is so good. Man, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes, there's more. Remember the promise. Remember what matters. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Pray with me as the band comes. Father, thank you for your promise. Thank you for revealing the future to us. Your children, not in, not in details that we, <laughs> that we have a detailed timeline, Lord, but, but in, in reality that you said you would come and you did come and you said you'll come again and we know you will. Lord, would you help us to hope in your promise? I wanna give you a minute just in your seat to, to be with the Lord, respond to him how you uh, feel called to. Maybe you've been hoping in something else, you need to confess that. Maybe, maybe you've been discouraged and the darkness has been overwhelming you. Maybe you need to confess that. Maybe you need to go back to one of the prayer team in the back and just say, would you pray for me? I'm just discouraged. I'm gonna give you a minute to speak with the Lord. <laughs> 